0: Alright, let's open in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day, thank you for this time to gather together, to hear from your word, to get um, instruction on how to live and how to pursue you. We pray that uh, you would open our eyes and ears this morning and that you would uh, bless the sermon and today's worship. And we thank you for your grace and amen. Alright, so today's sermon is titled, The Purpose and Power of Prayer. We're going to look at... Um, why God wants us to pray and how we're responsible to pray and to use the power of prayer for the advancement of the gospel. So the first part of this sermon, understanding the power of prayer. I want to take a look at what the Bible says about the power of prayer. So the... The biggest takeaway about the power of prayer, the most important thing you can understand about what prayer can do, is prayer can cause good things to happen that would not otherwise happen, and it can prevent bad things from happening that otherwise would happen. So um, I want to think about that aspect of it because we're going to get into that in detail. That'll give a context for what we're going to talk about in a bit of why God wants us to pray. But prayer can cause good things to happen that would not otherwise happen. And it can prevent bad things from happening that otherwise would happen. Let's look at a few scriptures that show that. James 4, verse 2. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So James is saying to the congregation he's writing to that there's things that God would give them that God has not given them because they have not prayed for them. Let's also look at Exodus 32, 7 through 14. And the Lord said to Moses, go down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? If Moses hadn't prayed for that, that would not have happened. The Bible implies that if Moses hadn't prayed for mercy, mercy would not have been shown. Let's also uh, look at a similar case uh, in 2 Kings 20 verses 1 through 7. About that time, Hezekiah became deathly ill. And the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to visit him. He gave the king this message. This is what the Lord says. Set your affairs in order, for you are going to die. You will not recover from this illness. When Hezekiah heard this, he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have always been faithful to you and served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. Then he broke down and wept bitterly. But before Isaiah had left the middle courtyard, this message came to him from the Lord. Go back to Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David, says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you, uh, and three days from now, you will get out of bed and go to the temple of the Lord." I will add 15 years to your life, and I will rescue you in this city from the king of Azaria. I will defend this city for my own honor and for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah said, make an ointment from figs. So Hezekiah's servant spread this ointment over the boil, and Hezekiah recovered. And again, the implication in this passage is if Hezekiah didn't pray, he wouldn't have been healed, he would have just died. So prayer has the power to cause good things to happen that would not otherwise happen and to prevent bad things from happening that otherwise would happen. And you know, sometimes those are very significant things. Prayers change the course of nations. We talked about that last week in the example Uh, We examined uh, with Derek Prince when he was at a prayer meeting praying for Kenya and how it changed the course of Kenya. You know, prayer has raised people from the dead. It's caused miraculous healings. It's led to major revivals that wouldn't have otherwise happened. Almost every major revival that happens uh, is closely connected with prayer, ongoing prayer over long periods of time. So let's look at a few things that God wants to give us through prayer. Uh, Number one, wisdom. Let's look at James 1 verse 5. And the prayer, uh, no, that's not James 1 verse 5. James 1 verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generally to all without reproach, and it will be given him. We need God's wisdom. God knows everything. And uh, and there's a lot of things in order to succeed in, we need to know certain things. We need wisdom. And God gives wisdom generously, but we need to ask for it in prayer. Another thing God wants to give us through prayer is peace. Let's look at Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Another thing God wants to give us through prayer is deliverance. Let's look at Mark 9, 28 through 29. So uh, in this passage just before this, there was a man with a son who was cruelly demonized or demon-oppressed, and the disciples were trying to cast the demon out, and for some reason uh, they were unable to. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So that's another uh, example of the main point. There are certain things that can only be obtained through prayer. Some things just won't happen unless we pray for them. Another thing God wants to give us through prayer, victory over sin. Let's look at uh, Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. God wants to give us healing through prayer. Let's look at James five fifteen. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. God is even willing to give us mercy on entire nations through prayer. Let's look at 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. So this is just a small list of the, uh, the gifts that God has to give us through prayer. It'd be almost impossible to make an exhaustive list because God has so much that he wants to give us through prayer. So this brings us to a question. Why does God want us to pray? Like, if he loves us, why doesn't he just give us this stuff? Why make us pray for it? Why not just give... You know, healing and deliverance and victory over sin. Why do we need to pray for it? Why, why does God care? Why does he want us to pray for it? Let's look at uh, Matthew 6, 7, and 8. Chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that it will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So we're definitely not praying in order to alert God of what we need or of what we want, because God already knows. So we're going to look at it in more detail, but the simple answer is that prayer glorifies God. That's the simple answer. God wants us to pray because prayer glorifies God. But I want to look into it further than that. Because to say that it's because prayer glorifies God implies that there are things that God could do um, that he would be more glorified if he did them in response to prayer than if he did them apart from prayer. So how does God doing good in response to prayer cause him to be more glorified than if he did the same thing apart from prayer? I want to look into that. That's a question worth asking and considering. So I think uh, there's two ways that I can think of why God doing certain things in response to prayer instead of apart from prayer causes him to be more glorified than if he just did them, you know, without prayer. The first one is that um, prayer in itself honors God and it helps us to stay humble. Asking someone to do something on your behalf is a form of honoring them in some sense. Let's look at uh, Daniel chapter six, verses six through nine. King Darius understood this idea that asking someone to do something on your behalf is a form of honoring them. Then the high officials And satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now the king established the injunction and signed the document. So that it could not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Now, why would he do that? Why would someone even come up with such an idea? It's because making a petition to someone is in some sense honoring to them. When we pray for God to act, we honor him as powerful and as capable And when we pray for wisdom or direction, we honor him as wise and as knowledgeable. When we pray for God to give us anything, we honor him as gracious and as generous. And when we ask God to do what we can't do, we honor him as superior. When we ask God to do what no one else can do, we honor him as superior. So prayer is honoring to God. Not only that, but prayer helps us to stay humble. Having to pray to God reminds us of our need for God. When God does grant us what we're praying for, having prayed for it helps us to see his hand in it and to remember that it comes from him. And otherwise, that's really easy to forget. Let's look at Deuteronomy 8, 17, and 18. Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to you and your fathers as it is this day. There's a lot of things that God wants to give us through prayer that if he gave them to us apart from prayer, we would just ignore that he had any part in it at all. We already do that with plenty of things, whether we realize it or not. Like if you think about it, how many blessings do we regularly enjoy and also regularly fail or forget to see that God had any part in us acquiring them? It's quite a lot. Not only that, but when you pray for something and then receive it, we're often more thankful than we otherwise would be if God had just done it apart from us praying for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's good that prayer helps us stay humble because, you know, staying humble helps us to glorify God. Pride distracts us from God's glory. When Satan, you know, fell away and became Satan, he was very much distracted from God's glory because he was focusing on himself and his glory and his ambition. Because that's what pride does. Pride makes it harder to glorify God and to honor God. So prayer honors God and prayer helps us to stay humble. Not only that, but prayer helps us to image forth the glory of God. Uh, Now I'm going to have to get into some detail to explain what I mean by that. So God made humans in his image so that we could reflect and display his glory. You know, all of creation displays the beauty of God. Let's look at Psalm 19 verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork or his craftsmanship. Let's look at Romans 1 verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so that we are without excuse. So all of creation displays God's beauty. But if all of creation displays God's beauty, and humans are made in God's image, then humans must have a special role in displaying God's beauty. Mm -hmm. And when humans who are made in the image of God have godly character, then that's when we reflect God's glory in the way that we were designed to. God wants us to reflect the glory of Christ, and he is conforming us into the image of Christ. Let's look at Romans 8, verse 29. For those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. So God is conforming us to the image of Christ, even though we are already made in the image of God, so that we can very much reflect and display the glory of God and the glory of Christ. And one of the ways that God designed for us to reflect the image of Christ is that he made it so that we should be a kingdom of priests who reflect Christ's loving intercession by praying for others. One of the glories of Christ is his loving intercession for his people. Uh, Let's look at Romans 8.34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Let's also look at Hebrews 7, verse 25. Consequently, Christ is able to save uh, to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So one of the glories of Christ is his loving intercession for his people. And God made us to reflect that glory by making us a kingdom of priests who should pray and intercede for others. Let's look at Revelation uh, Revelation 1, verse 6. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever. Amen. What do priests do? Priests intercede. That's one of the things that priests do. You know, that's part of why God designed it, so that the gospel would have to be advanced through prayer. Because God did indeed design it, that the gospel has to be advanced through prayer. It's one of the things that we're not going to succeed in without the power of prayer. So the advancement of the gospel and of gospel progress coming through the prayers of God's people glorifies God by reflecting the glory of Christ. Not only that, but So, you know, the progress of the gospel eventually taking over the world, that's a pretty glorious thing. But God wants to show that it's through his power, not through man's effort. And one of the ways he does that is he designed it to have to be done through prayer. Now, I want to make one point now that we've established that. So those are my two reasons Um, of what I can see for why God is more glorified by doing certain things in response to prayer instead of apart from prayer. So, yeah, that is why God is more glorified by doing certain things in response to prayer instead of apart from prayer. But I want to make a point that God is not in any way unloving by requiring that we pray. By having certain things that he won't give us unless we pray, God is not in any way unloving for doing that. Uh, There's two reasons I want to look at for that. Number one, uh, the fact that God has certain gifts for us that he he will only give to us if we pray for them. um, That was not point number one. So having to pray is good for us because it helps us to stay humble. We already established that it helps us to stay humble, but that's good for us because pride is destructive. Let's look at Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Let's also look at 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. So, this is Paul speaking. He says, So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations given to me, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. So, God here is being loving to Paul by giving him a trial in order to help him stay humble because he otherwise would have become conceited, is what this is implying. That could have caused him to potentially fail his ministry and his mission. But God was gracious to Paul, and that God kept Paul from becoming conceited. Because Paul was receiving pretty great revelations, and it would have been kind of easy to become puffed up and conceited. Like, I'm Paul, look at what I've done. You know, all these churches exist because of, you know my ministry, it would have been very easy to become conceited, and it could have potentially shipwrecked, you know, Paul's Christian life, but God was gracious. God did not allow Paul to become conceited. Not only that, but, you know, God's glory is always connected to our well-being, because God's glory is what we'll enjoy forever and eternity, So the more God is glorified, the more enjoyment we'll have. Let's look at John 17, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me uh, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. The reason there's fullness of joy in God's presence is because we get to delight in God's glory. So when God does things to glorify himself, he is also doing good to us by glorifying himself. Because God's glory is always connected to our well-being. So that's one way in that it's not unloving that God requires that we pray before he gives us certain things. But I I want to look at another way in which it's not unloving for God to require that we pray. The fact that God requires prayer for some things does does not mean that he doesn't do them out of his own initiative. It may feel like when we pray for good to be done that we're initiating the good being done. Because God's requiring us to pray for it, so aren't we the ones initiating it? No. No or at least not necessarily. So when Moses prayed in the passage we looked at, that God wouldn't destroy Israel, Moses prayed it, but God sovereignly ordained that Moses would pray it. So it was still God's initiative to not destroy Israel, but he still wanted it to be done by the means of prayer. God wanted to not destroy Israel. He wanted to show the mercy, but he wanted that mercy to be shown in response to prayer. And so he ordained that Moses would pray. I want to further illustrate this idea of, um, you know, the good God does through prayer being by his initiative. Uh, but I want to refer to a testimony, Kelly Lester's testimony... <laughs> Uh, She was a guest speaker at the Miami Valley Women's Center and Gala this year. And I found a recording of her testimony on YouTube, so we're going to look at it in a second. And uh, if you want to see the whole thing, there's a link to it in the handout, um, but that's just to the entire video of the gala. Uh, So for Kelly Lester, she talks about um, her life story and how she started out and how she um, had had several abortions and just the direction her life took at the beginning. And, um, and how she uh, was living with several boyfriends. And that's kind of where this part of this testimony is going to start out. Uh, but we can play that video.
1: Several years later, I was living in New Orleans with a boyfriend, and it was a very violent relationship. We went out to celebrate that I was leaving because the relationship wasn't working. And it got into a fight, as it usually did. And he came home. Several hours later, I came home. And the fight culminates with him kneeling over top of me. And we had ripped the door off one of the doors onto the floor, and there was a two-by-four laying on the ground. And he kneels over top of me, he grabs the two by four, and he goes to swing and hit me over the head with it. Mid-swing, he drops the board, punches me in the face several times, blood goes everywhere. He says, oh gosh, I've actually really hurt her, and the fight stops. The next morning, I wake up, and I have text messages and phone calls from my father in Virginia, who is the last person you want to talk to after a night like that. And so I did not. 24 hours after that, I packed my belongings and drove back to Virginia. My dad meets me, and I have two big, black, swollen eyes. My nose is flat and crooked, and he begins to cry. I said, oh, Dad, I was in a car accident, you know, the things women say. And he looks at me, and he says, Kelly, two nights ago, I was asleep. And in the middle of the night, the Lord woke me up. And I had a vision of you laying dead on the floor with your head split wide open. And so I began to pray. Now, I didn't tell my dad that, but I realized that at that moment, when the boyfriend dropped the board, it was when my father's prayers saved my life. A couple of weeks after that, I'm sitting in my dad's church, because my dad was a pastor, and I hear at the end, as he gives the altar call, you know, you get the butterflies in your stomach. Some of you remember that. And I hear as clearly as I've ever heard anything, I hear the Lord say, have you had enough.
0: So, yeah, that was my favorite part of her testimony. But I want to really point out God is the one who initiated saving her life. She would have been murdered by her boyfriend. And her dad didn't initiate saving her life. God did. And God wanted it to be done in response to prayer because it worked out better that way. Not only was God more glorified, but she came to realize in a real way that God loved her. That she wouldn't have realized if this was done apart from prayer instead of through prayer. So just because God requires that we pray in order to give us certain things does not mean that he doesn't love us, and it doesn't even mean that he's not the one initiating that good that he gives to us through prayer. And God has very good reason to require that certain things be given to us through prayer or not apart from prayer. All right, Uh, the next thing I want to talk about, prayer is our responsibility as Christians. We need to understand that. Prayer is our responsibility as Christians. Uh, There's three points that I want to make, uh, you know, that prayer is our responsibility as Christians. Number one, God commands us to pray. Uh, Let's look at a few verses that we are running a bit behind. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may live a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. God wants every single person to be prayed for that they would come to Christ. God wants every single person to be prayed for that they would come to Christ. Let's look at Ephesians 6.18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Uh, Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray without ceasing. Let's look at Romans 12.12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. So prayer is a command. We are commanded to pray. There's no way to avoid that. There's no way to swipe it under the rug or to, well, this word means this. No, we're commanded to pray. But the next thing I want to look at um, having to do with our responsibility to pray is uh, what it means to pray in Jesus' name. This is something uh, I was thinking about earlier this week, and I've started to think about it in a bit of a different way. So let's, um, you know, we're taught in the Bible that we should pray in Jesus' name. Let's look at John 16, 24. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy be made full. So when I was growing up, in Jesus' name always seemed like some nebulous spiritual saying that just, you know, really meant nothing to me. And I, I feel like other people didn't know what it meant either. But that's kind of weird because it's, it's actually a phrase we use in modern English to do something in someone else's name. Like, we still use that phrase. Uh, so I looked it up on Google. We can show you know, the dictionary definition. Um, so doing something in someone else's name means to do it either by their authority or for their sake. Mm-hmm. But it almost always means both at the same time. It almost always means both at the same time whenever you see it used. Um, You know, Typically, someone will give you authority to do something in their name because there's an expectation that you'll use that authority on their behalf or in their interest. So when I log into Facebook, I can post things as GCF or in the name of GCF. But they didn't give me the authority to do that so that I could post memes about programming. They gave me the authority to post things in their name so that I could... uh, do it in their interests or on their behalf so that we can get, you know, more advertisement. I also have a GCF credit card. Catherine didn't give me a GCF credit card so that I could eat at Taco Bell more often. (laughs) I have authority to purchase things in the name of GCF because I purchase them on behalf of GCF. I don't just purchase whatever I want. (laughs) Yeah, I need to talk to Catherine about that. (laughs) But so praying in Jesus' name definitely means praying by the authority of Jesus, but I think it's also meant to include the idea of praying for things that are in Jesus' interests. Praying for things that Jesus wants done and very much has the power to do, but he wants them to be done through prayer and not apart from prayer. Because mm-hmm. we've just seen very clearly that God has a lot that he wants to do through prayer but not apart from it. So praying in Jesus' name means praying by the authority of Jesus, but I think it's also meant to mean praying for the things that Jesus once prayed for. I also want to mention that the authority to do something in someone else's name is almost always only ever given to people who hold an office or a position of responsibility to represent that person. That's not different for us. We have the authority, the responsibility of representing Jesus. And as Christians, we have the office of priests, we're a kingdom of priests. Let's look at 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5, uh, and then verse 9. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but built in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we have an official position of priests to God. And positions come with responsibilities. Part of our Christian job description is that we pray for the things that Jesus wants to accomplish through prayer. That's part of the Christian job description, if you will. Prayer is officially part of our role and responsibility as Christians, it's part of our office as priests. God wants the gospel to advance by the means of prayer and he has charged all Christians with the responsibility to take part in that prayer effort. Mm-hmm. So the gospel is to advance by prayer and God has charged all Christians to take part in that effort. We're all responsible. Another thing I want to look at that's similar to that. In the Bible, kingdom prayer is considered kingdom labor. Kingdom prayer is considered kingdom labor. Let's look at Colossians 4 12 and 13. Ephorus, who is one of you, a servant of Jesus Christ, greets you, always struggling or striving on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and uh, Herophosus. So prayer is considered work. We should think of it that way. It's easy to not think of it that way, but we should think of it that way. Kingdom prayer is kingdom labor. It is a valued work. It is part of our job. It accomplishes things just as labor would, but sometimes more so. And your other labors won't accomplish what they should without it. You know, sometimes on a job, two different types of labor are required uh, for the end result. This is a kind of a poor, random example, but if you're working as a cook, not only do you, and you're trying to make a pie, you have to do the labor of making the filling, but you also have to make the crust. You know, we have to work in sharing the gospel, but we also have to pray. So kingdom prayer is kingdom labor. Uh, Not only is that um, pointed out in Colossians 4, but I also want to point out how I think according to Jesus in Matthew 6, we'll be rewarded for prayer as labor. Let's look at Matthew 6, 1 through 5, and then 16 through 21. So in the Beatitudes and 1 through 5, uh, Jesus starts off talking about giving, but then starts talking about prayer. and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So I want to look at that phrase, so your giving may be in secret, or uh, the one after that, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That exact phrase is used three different times in this passage. The first one about giving, and the second two about prayer and fasting. But let's continue to read. And when you pray, you must not look like the hypocrite. You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Um, Can you go to the next verse, even though I didn't include it? Never mind. few verses. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but where and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, nor and thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So it's it's worded the same way about prayer and fasting as it is about giving. And I think the reward isn't just answered prayer, because some translations even say, and I, I tried to look at it in Blue Letter Bible, and I think the Greek says, will be rewarded openly. Your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And to me, that implies, you know, treasure in heaven. So kingdom prayer is kingdom labor. It's considered that in the Bible, and it gets rewarded as labor if it's done The way, you know, for the kingdom, in Jesus' name, on his behalf, because it is work. Prayer should be considered work. It's the work of a Christian, and all Christians are called to take part in it. Uh, So the last section of this sermon, uh, setting aside time for prayer. I just want to give an admonition to set aside time for prayer. Uh, I think all Christians should have a daily time of prayer. Prayer is an important part of our lives. And, um, you know, some people think, well, I just pray throughout the day. You know, a little here, a little there, pray without ceasing. And you should do that. We should pray without ceasing. But prayer is important enough that you should have a daily time set aside for it. It's part of your job description. It should have daily set aside time. Not only that, but I think um, basically all Christians should have a weekly time for fasting. Now, the passage we just looked at says, when you fast, not if you fast. There can be exceptions for medical reasons, especially in certain seasons of life, like if you're pregnant and maybe if you're breastfeeding, but in general, Christians should fast regularly, like once a week. So have a daily time for prayer and have a weekly time for fasting. Not only that, but I think you should try to host or attend a worship and prayer meeting at least once a week. You know, last week I talked about uh, how we should have more small and casual worship meetings as a church. We should also have more prayer. When you have a worship meeting, have prayer. They should be worship and prayer meetings. Because God has a lot that he wants to accomplish through prayer, not apart from prayer. God has a lot of things he wants to do for us. That he wants to accomplish through prayer and not apart from it. God promises that he wants to do healings. The verses in James are very clear. And, um, you know, James 5, 14 through 16 Can we go to it? I don't know if I actually put it in the slides, but... Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. You know, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. God has a lot that he wants to do for us as a church that we're not going to get if we don't pray for it. It's a very clear pattern in the scriptures that God, for good reason, has things that he wants to give us through prayer, but not apart from prayer. That's just the main point of this sermon. God has a lot of things that he wants to give us through prayer, but not apart from prayer. And that is good. That is loving of him. That's the main point. If you're going to get anything, get that and apply it to how you think about life. God has a good reason for wanting to give us things through prayer and not apart from prayer. And we are responsible to pray in Jesus' name for the things that he wants to accomplish through prayer. And we need to take that responsibility seriously. So let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you uh, just for all the abundant gifts that are beyond what we could ask or imagine that you want to give for us and do for us through prayer. We pray that you would remind us to pray more and that we would see it as labor, but not a burdensome labor. We would see it as an enjoyable labor and a privilege to get to be part of, Lord. We pray that we would um, really come to know all the enjoyment that we can have in prayer and enjoying your presence, Lord. We pray that we would all experience that in the next year, Lord, the joy of time spent with you in prayer. And we pray that um, you would bless us as we worship and as we pray. And we thank you for your grace and amen.